It's that time again! Hello, everybody! Happy Friday the 13th. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Rory Sauter and the News. I'm Rory Sauter, your host. I hope you've had a fantastic week. I hope you have exciting weekend plans. Uh, we have not been on the air. Uh, it's been about three weeks, actually. Uh, it is great, great uh, to be back doing this. I uh, I have missed every single one of you guys, and uh, we have a lot to address today, a lot to establish. Um, huge, huge episode, a lot of great guests in attendance. Um, and I want to introduce my first guest who's with us right now. I believe we have Fred Litwin with us. And he's lived a hell of a life. He's had quite the career. Um, Fred, uh, first and foremost, give us a background, a bio, a resume, how it all started for you, all that fun stuff. Well, I, I'm, I'm Canadian. I'm from Canada. And uh, basically, uh, I've spent uh, nine years working for Intel Corporation in Europe and Asia, Hong Kong, Singapore. Um, I've started a music company and a film society. Uh, but basically, my whole story revolves around the JFK assassination, which I got interested in back in 1975 when I saw the Zapruder film on television for the first time in the Geraldo Rivera show. And something didn't seem right to me. Uh, I wondered how, why Kennedy's head moved back into the left in the Zapruder film, and that set me off on a decades-long hunt for the truth. And so you spent a whole decade doing all this due diligence, doing all this research into the whole Kennedy scenario. I know, I know a lot of people have different, you know, theories on what happened. You know, you have all these different books out and it just seems like, um, there's a lot of different, uh, mindsets and different theories on what people think happened. I mean, I want to get your rundown and what you uh, took away from all this. I mean, spending ten years doing something. It was more more than ten years. I, I since nineteen seventy five, I've been wow. researching this. So oh, I more, thought I thought you said a, I thought you said a decade. So you're saying no, decades? No. Yeah, many decades. Wow. Yeah. So and uh, yeah, go ahead. And the answer is quite simple, actually. Lee Harvey Oswald shot and killed Kennedy. There was no conspiracy. He was a communist who hated uh, uh, Kennedy's uh, uh, what Kennedy was doing to Cuba. And this was his uh, mission to strike a blow for the Cuban Revolution. Now, if it's that if it if it's that simple, though, Fred, why do all these other people say the mafia was involved? Why do they say, you know, Oswald was a fall guy? Why do they say that there's no way he could have made that shot from that whatever story window he was at? It just is not possible. Apparently. Mm -hmm. Uh, they had Navy SEAL uh, experts that can shot, shoot perfectly, come reenact the scenario, and they're like, no way. So I'm just wondering. It's just yeah. there's so many things that are weird, and I can sure. understand why people are suspicious because, you know, we all know the government lies to us every single day um, on many things, um, not everything. Um, and it's just hard. It's hard to uh, – it, it's really hard to know 100%. Because obviously, you know, I wasn't there. You weren't there. All these other people that have all these theories weren't there. Um, your thoughts on everything I just said? I know I, I kind of well, look. look a, lot, a lot of people are are unhappy with the with the explanation about Oswald being the lone gunman because Kennedy was this 
great man. He was president. He was young. He was bringing enthusiasm to the country. It's hard to believe that somebody like Oswald, a 24-year-old communist, could just go and kill him. Um, it's much easier to believe that Kennedy was killed for a reason, a purpose, a mission, something. And so that's what's led a lot of people to believe there's something more to the assassination. I should say, if you've been to Daly Plaza, you will see that the shots are very easy. The first shot was only 55 yards away. The headshot was around 85 yards away. And Oswald was actually a very good shot. He was a sharpshooter in the Marines. Fred, um, you, oh, go ahead, sorry. No, there's nothing, there's nothing mysterious about this. But Fred, you don't buy into the narrative that LBJ might have been behind it because he wanted power and the whole Vietnam scenario that we probably would have never been in Vietnam had Kennedy still been alive. I mean, there's a, like I say, I mean, there's, we could probably name a million things no. of what people have come up with and what people have thrown out there, you know? No, I, I don't buy any of that. Uh, uh, first off, we don't know what Kennedy would have done in Vietnam. Um, had he lived, because uh, he was deeply committed to the South Vietnam, the country of South Vietnam. He was deeply committed to freedom and fighting the communists. Um, three weeks before he died, uh, President Diem of South Vietnam was uh, deposed in a coup and assassinated, and that made a lot of things uh, go downhill. Uh, we don't know what he would have done had he stayed alive. Uh, as for Lyndon Johnson, there's just no evidence that he was involved in anything. What about the secrecy? What about all the mystery behind hiding all these documents yeah. and, and why they refuse to release them? Do you have any theories yeah. on that? Well, first off, that is just first, it's not true. We have to really look at what, what if there are the only documents that are withheld in full, where the whole document is secret. And why is RFK Jr. coming out? I mean, I don't, a he doesn't know the case. He what? doesn't know, he, he really doesn't know things. Um, the only documents held in full are IRS documents, and those are exempt uh, from the J by the JFK Act from being uh, disclosed. The other documents that we talk about about being released, these are documents that have all been released, but with some redactions. But now, why are there redactions? Well, there's 400 documents with social insurance numbers. Oh. They shouldn't be released at all. But, but Fred, there has to be more redactions than just privacy. Yeah, uh, you know, other, finance concerns yeah. and other, there has to be, I mean, I mean, I, you, you could look at all the documents. In fact, like I say, the documents are released. You could look at the redactions and you could see what they're about. The only, the, the CIA documents that we're talking about right now that have redactions are not even related to the assassination. They're all about the Cold War. They're about Cuba. They're about anti-Castro Cubans. They're, a lot of them are from 1961, 62, way before the assassination. There's really nothing there. And I should say also that the people at the Assassination Records Review Board, they saw all these documents. They reviewed all of them before they were redacted. And they themselves say there's nothing there. So now let me ask you this. Um, in regards to everything we hear in the media, why do they keep saying that they're not, these presidents don't release all this stuff? And apparently there's all these things in there that we're supposed to know and you yeah. know there's supposed to be full transparency and there has been a lot of people um even in the mainstream and even politicians saying that there are things that um they're hiding from us so i'm just is that just propaganda i wouldn't say it's propaganda it's it's people who just don't know what's, what's really going on and haven't looked at uh, exactly what is redacted you can go to the national archives website for instance if you want a complete list of all the withheld in full documents 
you can go there and you'll see that it's all IRS documents. If you want to look at the list of, of redacted documents, you can see those too. And they're, they're all released. I, why, why people, look, it's a much better story for the press to say, oh, there's this secrecy and we just don't know. Um, it's a much more mundane story to say, yeah, the redactions really aren't that important. So, okay, now let me ask you this. What the hell was he doing with the, with in a convertible with very limited protection? I mean, from what I understand, I mean, I know he had a secret service in the car, but that's very reckless. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say that's, wouldn't you agree? Or different times, would you say? Well, very different times. Look at, I have a picture in my book of Kennedy's motorcade in Tampa on November 18th, 1963. He's standing in the open limo for most of the way, standing up. Um, (laughs) Security was very, very different back then than it is today. So back then, you know, I, I, I assume, like you're saying before that, you know, um, uh, it wasn't it wasn't crazy like it like it can be today. But so so after that whole assassination, is that when they really stepped it up on the security? Yeah, they realized, oh, my God, you know, we have to take these things a little more seriously. And that uh, motorcades, for instance, are, uh, you know, something that, that require they're all bulletproof now. They're all like all, you know, you can't even. Yeah, they made it. They made it really, really uh, extra secure. Yep. So, so, uh, so, that what about what about Jackie? What about Jackie's dress that they will not release with the bloodstains on it? Well, there. Look, the problem for the National Archives is they are in possession of a whole variety of artifacts from the JFK assassination. You've got bullet fragments, you've got the CE-399, the, the bullet, you've got the dress, you've got the windshield, you've got a whole variety of, of artifacts. And the, the, the toughest problem for them is to figure out what do we do with this stuff? How do we put it on display? How do we, do we take pictures of it? They've got, you know, you don't want people, everyday people coming in to examine it. These are very delicate items. We've already had instances of where too many people have handled certain things over the years. And so I think the National Archives have, you know, decided to be a little more careful about how they handle the artifacts. And and Fred, don't you find it a little weird that his family doesn't have the full truth, that they still think that he was killed? That's not true. They do have the full truth. Uh, His family doesn't think that at all. Maybe Robert RFK Jr. does, but not his other siblings. Why do you um, think- I've, I've done a variety of blog posts on RFK Jr. He does not know the case. Um, and some of the stuff that he says about the assassination is just atrociously awful, really wrong. Um, he does not know this stuff at all. Do you, do you like some of the things he stands for? Not particularly. I mean, so in regards to what Robert Kennedy Jr. has said about this, um, you think he's throwing things around that are just definitely leading people the wrong way that are yeah, so well, he says he, he continually says that the best book on the assassination is jfk and the unspeakable which is a book that i've read i have it in my collection and it is a really bad book it is full of conspiracy nonsense a lot of which i've debunked on my blog and he thinks it's a great book and there's there's the problem right there is is it fair to say that most of america though probably thinks that he was killed by the government no, attitudes really changed. And if you go back to... Uh, because I know for the longest time they took polls. This was... The last time I checked, this was uh, probably four or five years ago. But 
um, majority, and I think it was in the high 50s, early 60s, did believe that the government had something to do with JFK's assassination. Yeah, and and since, since around the year 2000, the attitudes have changed quite dramatically. And now you have basically 50-50. Half the American population thinks there was no conspiracy. Half the population thinks there was. It's changed dramatically and less largely driven by the internet and the fact that people like me can fight back on Facebook and Twitter um, with the truth and can actually post documents that support our case. Yeah, and wow, man. Wow, wow, wow. And our, speaking of RFK, he talks about um, Sirhan Sirhan wasn't the person that killed his father. Have you ever looked into that? I have. How do you feel about him mentioning? What's wrong about that? Sirhan Sirhan. I mean, my God, you have all these witnesses who saw him do it. He did it. Uh, he admitted it. Um, everything traced back to his gun. I mean, you couldn't have a more clear case. Interesting. So, I mean, do you do you ever think there are things that the government has misled us on? Like, do you think 9-11? Do you think there's th- – like, uh, let me give you some other examples. Um, the Las Vegas shooting. I mean, do you study any of this other other stuff? What? I have not studied that shooting. I mean, does the government misled – look, the, the FBI, the CIA over the years have been involved in a whole variety of scandals. I mean, the CIA was trying to assassinate foreign leaders for a long time. Look at what yeah. they tried to do to Castro. Uh, the FBI, look what they did to gay people across the country. I mean, it was yeah. some horror shows uh, by a variety of, of government agencies. I can't deny that. Right. No, I, I hear you. And, you know, they say that the CIA was in on Kennedy's assassination. They say the mafia was in on it. They say Jack Ruby. And the whole, explain this to me. Jack Ruby. Yeah. Explain his role because a lot of people. Well, I, I, I should say, first off, the mob. The mob would not be involved. You think about think about the mob. If they were you going did the to mob help him get elected? Um, possibly, quite possibly. Um, look, the mob would not kill Kennedy because not only do you have to kill Kennedy, you have to get away with it. And while they could possibly could probably believe that they could kill him, they could never be sure they can get away with it. And and so that was I think would stop the mob from killing Kennedy. They can never be sure that they can get away with it. Jack Ruby was not in the mob. He was not a mobster. He was a wannabe. I mean, he's the last person the mob would have. He was a loudmouth. He was a blabbermouth. This guy blabbed all around town to everybody who would, who would talk to him. Um, he's the last person the mob would have in, in, in its ranks. So Jack Ruby, um, you're telling me that he was just angry that Kennedy got shot and then went after no, him? Well, he was, he was angry. Jack Ruby had a bit of a mental breakdown that weekend, and it was related to, his, to anti-Semitism. So on Friday, November 22nd, on the, on the Friday in the morning, there was a full-page ad in the Dallas Morning News criticizing Kennedy. And it was signed by Bernard Weissman, a Jewish name. And Ruby saw this ad, and it really agitated him. And then Kennedy got shot, and he really connect, He tried to connect this ad to the assassination. He actually went to the post office box with his friends to try and find out who this Bernard Weissman was. Uh, at the same time, there were impeach Earl Warren uh, billboards all around Dallas. Both the billboard and the ad had a post office box, and he thought this was, this was all connected. And he started to have a bit of a mental mental breakdown. He was very very upset about all this. As for the him killing Oswald, it was a lucky a lucky break, not a lucky break, but it was all luck because he had to go wire money to a stripper that morning, and the Western Union office was a block away from the police station. 
Why was uh, Ruby mad at the Jewish guy? What? Why was he so upset with the guy? Well, he, he thought. Well, he wasn't. He he wasn't mad, but he was upset that was there a connection between this Bernard Weissman and the assassination? He even thought that the black border of the ad signified death. It just started him on this this this. Uh, he was he started to get agitated, and he was he was already taking diet pills. And uh, it led him to a, a very, very bad state. And in an impulsive act, he shot Oswald. And Bernard Wiseman, why was he criticizing Kennedy? What did Kennedy do? Do you know exactly why? Yeah, well, Bernard Wiseman was a, um, a young guy who was a, in a conservative group, a very conservative group, yeah. who were angry at Kennedy's foreign policy um, and thought that he was being too lenient on, on uh, the communist bloc. And so they put a full page ad criticizing Kennedy in the newspaper. Gotcha. I and going going into Kennedy's politics, I mean, I would say it's fair to say that he was a conservative Democrat. I mean, he was the last pro-life Democrat. He's yeah, a, I would. He was very anti-communist. Yeah, he was. He was. He was dedicated to freedom, and he right. really believed that that the Soviet Union, the communist bloc, was evil. And Fred, explain to me this though. I mean, Kennedy was very keen. He was very excited and, and one of his big agendas was to get rid of the CIA. So that's why people think the CIA may have something to do with his death. I mean, do you remember him saying that he did not want any secrets held from the American people and he wanted full transparency and there were a lot of shady things the CIA was doing at the time and they did not like being called out? This was a misreading of Kennedy and the CIA. Kennedy certainly was not happy with the CIA after the Bay of Pigs, but Kennedy realized very quickly that he liked covert act activities. He liked covert operations. And so the, one of the first things he did with the CIA was he moved a lot of covert operations to the Defense Department and put Robert Kennedy in charge a lot of a lot of that. And so covert actions by the US government skyrocketed under Kennedy. Uh, he never really did punish the CIA. He did put in John McCone, who did a lot of work in sort of making the CIA much more professional. But he never uh, Kennedy did never really cut back the CIA. Do you do you think Robert um, being being his like main weapon, like them two working together? Do you think that was a phenomenal dynamic duo? I mean, do you think they made a terrific pair? Well, they were they were they were a pair that trusted each other, and so a lot of a lot of the dirty work a lot was left to Robert Kennedy. Um, and Robert Kennedy was <laughs> very similar to John. He was very very anti communist. Right. And and a very much a hardliner. They were both rabid about Cuba. They were both determined to get rid of Fidel Castro. Who had more of a temper? Who was more of a who? Who was a more type that would shit down your neck if you crossed him? Oh, it was Robert. I mean, Robert would really go after people, and he was very protective of his brother. Uh, yeah, I see. I love that. I love the the family loyalty. And um, Speaking, I want to I want to ask about uh, Teddy. Did you ever ever read much into Chappaquiddick? Like, did well, you ever study well, that much? Not that much. I was actually in Boston when that happened. Wow. Um, look, he was a womanizer, and and uh, you know he killed that woman, and it's really a, a horrible tragedy and sustain on on his legacy, whatever that might be. You think he would have been president if that would have never happened? I don't think so. I don't think he had it in him, and I don't think he had anywhere near the gravitas that Robert or, or uh, John had. Right, and that's what I keep saying. I'm like, you look at Robert and, and, and JFK, 
And then you look at Ted and it's like, Ted comes from a different family. Like he's not, he's nothing like his brothers. No. And I think, I think he would have been a horrible president. What about Robert? If he was never killed, do you think he would have been elected? Yep. I think he would have been elected. Yeah. Yeah. I think he would have been elected. I think he would have been in an easy landslide and uh, it would have been a very interesting presidency. And in regards to it, let's just say hypothetically for our, for, you know, just to have some fun conversation here, let's just say Robert got in there. Do you think they probably, somebody would have probably killed him too? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, who knows? I, you know, I, I can't say. I think, right. I think the big thing for Robert Kennedy was he would have had to grapple with Vietnam and he would have had to figure out some way of getting out of Vietnam. And that was a, not an easy thing to do. And we talked, we talked about how we talked about Kennedy's, protection uh jf jfk's protection you know um how it, it in those days it was different but robert kennedy died a few years after jfk and you told me after jfk died they really stepped up the security how did they i, I just don't understand how i'm not going to say they let robert die but it's like they they should have learned from what happened the first time you should always have people around that you know, can see these things before they happen. I mean, it's like, it's a curse. Well, it's, it's a problem in a, in a, in a, in our Western societies where we have open societies where we have people are free to, to, to do things. And you have presidential candidates who like to be in the public, who like to go meet people and like to be with, be with, with large crowds. And that's always going to uh, put them in somewhat of some danger. So, I mean, even though there were, there was, all this secret service around Robert, you know, obviously way much, much more, uh, you know, uh, much more than there was um, in the prior years, like when JFK uh, got assassinated, but they, they still couldn't stop it. I mean, today, something like this would never happen. There's probably more security for presidential candidates today, I think. Yeah, but yeah. I don't you know. Again, Robert Kennedy, he was in the he was in the Ambassador Hotel. There was a huge crowd of people. He decided to take a detour at the last moment and go through the kitchen. And there was Sirhan. And how did they not get Sirhan before he got to this? I just you would think that Secret Service would pick up on that, no? I, I, again, I don't know enough about the protection of Robert Kennedy to sort of, obviously they didn't. Uh, I don't know how much protection he actually had. And did you ever study the Ronald Reagan uh, assassination attempts? Didn't he? Didn't it ha happen twice? Yeah, I didn't really uh, uh, examine that at all. Um, thank God that, that uh, Reagan survived that assassination yeah. attempt. Yeah. All right. Didn't that guy get out of jail that freaking shot him? What's his name? Didn't he get out? Was it Hinckley? Yeah. Didn't he get out? I think he did. Yes. Yeah. Oh, crazy. Um, so going back to this, I know you wrote a book uh, talking about Oliver Stone's movie, his document yeah. documentary. Here's my book. Yeah. So t tell us about this. Kind of give us the rundown. Give us the kind of. Well, Oliver Stone came out in 2021 with a. Uh, or last year with a new documentary series called JFK Destiny Betrayed. It's a four-part series on the assassination. And when I watched it, I realized, you know, there's just so much in here that I could debunk. There's so much in here that's not true. And I started writing a daily blog where I was debunking a lot of a lot of the items in his documentary series. And people started coming to say, you know, you should put that into a book. 
And I decided, yeah, I'd make a good book. So I sort of got all my blog posts together, wrote a whole variety of other pieces, and uh, this book came together. I wanted to show, through the use of primary documents, just how wrong conspiracy theorists are. Yeah, I mean, and they've made so many different movies about this case. They've made so many different documentaries. And so from what you've seen, about 99% of all of those are bogus. Bunk. Well, there. Uh, <laughs> most I, I would say most of the conspiracy documentaries and most of the conspiracy books are pretty full of nonsense. Do you remember? And, and, oh, go ahead. And, and and that's why it's important for me. Like uh, all the all the I put I have a hundred pages of notes and sources for my book, and I put that up on my blog for free so that people can see the primary material, primary sources for what I say in my book. And Kennedy. Um, you know, in, in regards to his situation, um, what, what happened, um, in regard, how much of an, of an investigation did they do into both of those brothers dying? Did they really do a lot of, well, you know, for, for JFK, you know, you had the Warren commission, which only took a year. I think they certainly could have used more time for sure. Yeah, uh, Lyndon Johnson wanted them to wrap up the investigation before the election in nineteen in nineteen sixty four, but there was a second investigation, uh, the House Select Committee on Assassinations in nineteen seventy six to nineteen seventy seven seventy eight, and they spent over two years looking at the JFK assassination. They also could not find a conspiracy, and there was a third investigation, and that was Jim Garrison's investigation in New Orleans in the nineteen sixties which lasted for three years and he couldn't find a conspiracy either he did find one but it was all bogus interesting interesting um i want to bring up here i got i want to get you back on here soon i got to let you go here in a few minutes i got to get to my next guest but um you worked for intel which is and you worked there for nine years it says yep and then you managed a team of 20 uh, people organizing the launch of Pentium 3 in Asia. What was that like? Yeah. Well, it was. Uh, I worked in Hong Kong, and uh, so I managed a team of people to organize the, the Intel launch in Asia of a new chip, which is a pretty big thing because you have to oversee advertising, distribution, sales, uh, launch, uh, a website, a whole variety of things. It was a very, very big undertaking. Nice, man. Nice. And then uh, it also says here you were the vice president of sales for LAN Systems in New York City. Yeah, it was a small, it was a small software company in New York, and I became VP of sales, and uh, sales exploded, and then actually Intel bought that company. So that's how I joined Intel. Wow, man. And then in 2000, you founded Northern Blues Music, a cutting-edge cutting edge blues label. The company has released over 70 CDs and has garnered 12 Juno Awards and over 50 Blues Music Award nominations. Yeah, that's been a, that was a lot of fun. I, I decided to do a blues label. It was sort of labor of love. And, uh, of course, the music industry isn't that, isn't that interesting anymore these days. But I released a lot of great music and... Uh, you know, uh, I I was up for album of the year in Memphis three times uh, while I was doing the label, so uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, dude, it sounds like you're a jack of jack of all trades. And then now I'm seeing here uh, in 2007 you started the Free Thinking Film Society, 
to showcase films on liberty, freedom, and democracy. The society has now shown over 100 films and also organizes book launches and panel discussions. Yeah, that was I, that, I started that um, to counter Michael Moore and some of his lies in some of his films. Can't and, stand that and, guy. And I realized that there are a lot of conservative films out there that deserve to be shown that weren't making the, uh, the, 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 the mainstream theaters. And so I started my own film society. Uh, real quick question. Who do you think is the best conser- conservative filmmaker out there? I don't know. You know, I, 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 there's not enough conservative filmmakers. There's not. I, I'm, I'm a bit out of the touch with, with what's going on in film, right. but I wish there were more. And I've actually said that many, many times that I, the great thing about the tools we have at our disposal today on the Internet is that anybody can make a film. Sure. Uh, I made a documentary myself. Yeah. Um, anybody can make a film, and I wish more conservatives would go out there and make their own films um, about what is going on. Amen. Amen. Um, and then it says in the fall of 2015, you published your first book, Conservative Confidential, Inside the Fabul- which called Inside the Fabulous Blue Tent, which detailed your journey from left-wing anti-nuclear activist to becoming a gadfly on the right. Uh, and then in 2018, you, you made your second book, uh, saying I was a teenage JFK conspiracy freak, uh, which came, yeah, wow. And then, uh, which came out, Recanted Become a Believer. Very interesting. So talk, first off, um, the conservative confidential real quick. Talk about that. Well, I, you know, after 9-11, I really, uh, became completely disillusioned with the left. And I thought the left was completely out of touch yeah. with radical Islam and what was happening around the world. Right. And uh, it forced me to go to the right and become a member of the uh, Conservative Party in Canada. And I thought I had to write a book about this. I had to write a book about what I was seeing, why I was so disillusioned with the left and why I had become a part of the right in Canada. And so that was that book. Nice, man. And then what about the second book? Obviously, it sounds like you were one of the people that thought it was a conspiracy and then you had a change of heart with the JFK scenario. I did. And and so uh, similar to my first book, I was a teenage JFK conspiracy freak tells my story of how I why I believed in a conspiracy for many years and why I changed my mind and what the evidence was that convinced me that Oswald was a lone gunman. And uh, it's all it's also a little history of conspiracy thinking in the JFK assassination. It's a fun book. Nice, nice. And it also says here you've written articles for the National Post, the Ottawa Citizen, the Toronto Sun, C2C Journal, iPolitics, and the Dorchester Review. Yeah, I'm always writing something for somebody. I've, I've been very, very active in, in some of the issues around uh, uh, what's happening with trans people and, and the whole issue of uh, puberty blockers and uh, the medication of, 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 of trans people, which I just find horrifying. And so I actually wrote about that like seven years ago before uh, some of the current brouhaha. I hear you, man. It's madness out there. It's pure madness. madness. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things coming up? Uh, any big announcements? Any? Uh, well, I do. Well, I'm going to have a big announcement on November 22nd, the, the 60th anniversary of the JFK assassination. I'll be unveiling an article with some new information. Wow. Wow. And, and uh, also, um, I want to ask you, um, where can people find you? Where can people get involved? All that good stuff. On my website, on thetrailofdelusion.com, 
Um, on the, you can find, I have a great blog of like 800 different pieces about the JFK assassination, lots of free documents and uh, at links to my books and reviews, et cetera, et cetera, on the trailofdelusion.com. Perfect, my friend. Perfect. And I love having you here. I want to get you back here very soon. Uh, have a great weekend and uh, God bless, man. You too. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Fred. Thanks. Uh, I do want I do want to uh, introduce my next guest. I believe that he's with us right now. We have Rob Green. Rob, are you with us? I'm here. How are you? How, how are you, Rob? Welcome to the show. Your first time on. Uh, first and foremost, give us a little bio, a background, how it all started for you, all that fun jazz. Yeah, so I, I'm in the Navy. I'm a, a commander in the Navy. It's an 05, the equivalent to a lieutenant colonel in the Army and the Marine Corps. Thank you for um, your service. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, so uh, for me, uh, I was uh, the XO of a 650-person unit when the pandemic happened. Um, I refused the vaccine. Um, started, Good job. Uh, me too. Me too, yeah. man. I, 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 I said to myself months before it even came out, I'm not getting that shit. I'm not falling for this, this clown show. This is all, this is all a game and I'm not buying into the bullshit fear. I'm not, I don't, I'm not scared of death. I'm not naive and I'm not gullible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for those of us who believe, and I don't, I don't know your personal beliefs, uh, but for those of us who do believe in, a, in an afterlife or something that happens yeah. next, right. you know, we cling a little less desperately to this life. Yeah. Um, you know, and we stand, it's easier to stand for principles uh, when you, when you have that approach. Um, so, so that's what I did. I was fired from my position um, and then uh, sent home for seven months. Had a lot of time to network with people and, you know, help junior service members that were fighting back and trying to do what they could to stand up for their own rights. Um, and, you know, eventually everything I researched and everything I did became a book about everything that happened. We started winning in court. Uh, and then they didn't really didn't know what to do with me at that point. You know, couldn't go through with a court martial or, uh, or an involuntary discharge. So they eventually uh, put me back to work. Um, and I am still in and still serving as best I can. Uh, the book came out July 4th of this year, and we're hoping to win some hearts and minds uh, to individual rights, constitutional rights for service members. Dude, I, lo I love it, man. I, I, love, I, I love everything you're doing. Um, I know that uh, you know, you're helping a lot of other people uh, that have gone through the same thing you've gone through. Uh, where, where is the scenario at with these whole mandates? Can you kind of give us the, the rundown on that? Yeah. So, uh, the mandate was rescinded, uh, you know, in, in this in, past in year. All, I, I don't think in all parts of the military, right? Just certain parts, right? Well, the COVID-19 vaccine mandate was rescinded. So they have stopped okay. kicking people out over it. Um, the, the problem though is that the National Defense Authorization Act, that's the congressional legislation that rescinded the mandate, did not repair any of the harms done, did not declare uh, the mandate unlawful. Uh, it, it actually did more harm to us than good because what the DOJ did, the DOJ was representing the Department of Defense uh, in the lawsuits that have been filed, more than 40 of them. Uh, and, um, and what the DOJ immediately did after the rescission of the mandate was go to the federal courts and try to get each of those cases dismissed as moot because the mandate went away. And most of the federal court judges have said, well, it makes sense to me. Like you're no longer being kicked out. Well, Hey, so uh, this case is dismissed. Uh, there's only one class wide 
uh, case that is still active right now. It's the Navy case against the DOD, um, where we're trying to get a final ruling on that case. And this is just over the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, those who had a religious objection to the mandate. There's a whole other, uh, and you know, your viewers might understand some of this, there's a whole other legal aspect that we need to get at, which is they licensed, or they, sorry, they mandated an unlicensed product and tried to force service members to take it. Um, and that's that's a whole other aspect that we want to get at. But with the mandate rescinded um, and judges not willing to take any deep dives on this, we're not able to attack that right now. Did you ever look at the percentage of how many service members uh, denied it and said they're not taking it? Like, did what was the statistics? It was about three to five percent. Um, you know, depending on, uh, you know, which some of those folks filed religious accommodations, some of them were straight refusers and said, I have a right. So the law says uh, if a product is not fully licensed, it's just authorized for emergency use. The law says you have a right to accept or refuse the administration of that product. And if you did not have that right, then, you know, the service members just become lab rats for any new thing that they that the government comes up with. Well, if the law says if the law states that, then why are all of these judges and why are all of these higher ups uh, kicking people out? I mean, it seems like it would be against the law, right? Oh, it is. They broke the law. So, um, you know, they, they, they hurt. I mean, I know, I know, like, like you said, a lot of people, you know, got their jobs back and are able there, there's no more mandates, but just the fact that they were allowed to get away with that in the first place with implementing those sort of policies, knowing it's against the law. I mean, people need to be held accountable. That's exactly where I'm at right now. And it is why I'm continuing to be vocal, even though I'm not being chased down with a needle right now and, uh, and no one's trying to kick me out. We yeah. have to have accountability or this is going to happen again. It, it comes down to the administration, you know, political and political appointees had an agenda and they pushed this. The three and the four star level leaders in all the services had an opportunity to take their insignia, to take their stars and put them on the table and say, I'm protecting the services, I'm protecting the law, I'm protecting service members. They did not do that. Um, they had an opportunity and, and they failed to uh, uphold the law and individual constitutional rights of service members. And that's where, you know, that's where we're at right now. So unless accountability happens, unless we, um, you know, bring back these folks who broke the law, who are retired, court martial them or something, um, at least an admission from the services, uh, you know, Army, Navy, Marine Corps, the Air Force, an admission that, hey, we got this wrong. We're going to study this. We're going to make sure this doesn't happen again. Even that would be helpful. But right now we have a, a serious betrayal of trust that most service members are feeling right now for various reasons. Um, and I think that the current recruiting environment is a reflection of that. Are you surprised, considering how conservative the military is, that the number was so low at three to five percent who refused? I would think it would be higher than that. So I had hoped it would be a lot higher. But like I'll that's you in my opinion, that's really, really low for, you know, like I said, considering the military mostly is conservative. I mean, sure, you have some Democrats in the military, but the conservatives dominate in the military if, if we're going to look at the voting block. My private estimate is that as many as 50% wanted no part of this. And for various reasons, 
they they went along protecting their family, pr- protecting their income. They were coerced, but ultimately, you know, they have no way of suing because the emergency use authorized law, the the, the law covering that kind of product. Right. They're exempt. They're exempt. The big pharma is exempt from any sort of lawsuits or any uh, liability, correct? Because yep. Congress, because so Congress. Congress signed the law for them, is isn't that correct, big pharma? Yeah. So that was a law from 2005. Yep. Uh, the 105th Congress put that in place soon after the anthrax vaccine nonsense that went down, and so that law has been in place for a long time. It protects Congress. It protects uh, every DoD official. Protects all of government. It protects those who are injecting you. It protects those who develop the product. It protects the manufacturers of the product. Everyone involved has perfect liability shields in a court because of this law, except one person. That's the person who accepts the product when they have a right to refuse. Otherwise, everybody is a, a lab rat. They have a right to refuse. But if they accept the product, they're the only one taking any risk. They're taking medical risk. They're taking financial risk. They're taking 100% of the risk. Now, Rob, I have to ask you, um, in regards to this happening again, you know, it worked once, you know, they got, they got people to comply. Um, so I think it's inevitable. And then, then how will the military uh, go about dealing with this? Well, I mean, that's part of why I'm continuing to be so vocal. I could keep my head down, try to get to retirement. Um, but you know, I, I took an oath to support and defend the constitution against enemies, foreign and domestic, right? This is a domestic enemy. If you trample individual constitutional rights, then you, the constitution does two main things, right? It establishes the form of our government and it protects individuals and individual rights from that government. Those are the two main things that the constitution does. So if you're trampling individual rights, you are a domestic enemy to the constitution, which I swore an oath to defend against. Right. So that's the situation we're in right now. And, you know, for those other service members who are, you know, feeling like something is coming down the pike, well, get vocal with me because we have an obligation to defend against just such threats that, you know, take you, the individual, all your rights away and allow the government to dictate everything to you. And that's frankly not okay. And I know you said earlier you were gone for seven months. Um, and so you're back and are you back in the same position that you had before in the same ranking and everything? So I am the same rank. I'm not the same position. They, they moved me, you know, six States away, put me in a, put me in another job. Uh, but my only, my only job for those seven months while they were figuring out whether the court martial me or involuntarily separate me, I, my only job was calling in every day. I, I presumably to make sure I was alive. Then they stopped taking that call. Um, and so eventually, uh, as we were winning in court and, um, you know, they were going to have to figure out what to do with us who are still in sitting at home getting paid. Thankfully, I have seven kids and I still need to provide, um, they, uh, they wow, actually, seven kids, man, seventh heaven. That's a lot. That's a lot of kids, man. Damn. Uh, it, it, it is. Wow. Um, but Good for you, man, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so they, you know, they eventually uh, put, you know, all of us back to work instead of kicking us out. And, you know, luckily they did, or the current, you know, manning crisis we have right now would be way worse. Dude, I hear you. I hear you. And uh, I want to ask you, you know, you spent a lot of time in the military. What countries did you mainly, uh, uh, you know, do your thing in? Well, I was in the Navy, so I did most of my 
defending the Constitution against foreign enemies uh, from a ship. Uh, so spent some time in the Persian Gulf, spent some time uh, in the Horn of Africa area and the Mediterranean Sea. But I'll tell you, even back then, um, you know, th there there was some manning issues. We had gaps. We had, uh, you know, personnel positions that were not filled. That's what I mean by gaps. Yeah. Um, and just uh, as recently as 2021, there were 7,000 gaps at sea, positions at sea that were that have been gapped. And that's a 250 ship Navy or so. So we're talking about 25 or so, you know, people a ship on average, right? Just since the pandemic to now, so two or three years since then, um, we that 7,000 number has ballooned to 18,000 gaps, personnel gaps at positions at sea. And uh, it's not getting better. As a matter of fact, the Navy just missed their recruiting target by 7,000 people. What's going to happen when they can't fill all these jobs in, in the military? They're going to have to draft? <laughs> that that's a question for uh for those who make political decisions not for me I'm, but I, I i don't i don't know what we're going to do as the war drums continue to beat around the world with all the chaos going on in the world and with with all hell breaking loose and shit hitting the fan could you see another draft coming it's 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 possible i i assume that's what happens um you know previously they you know they couldn't bring people in for various policy-related reasons, reasons right. about the economy. Uh, my issue, yeah, those other things exist. There are reasons people are not uh, volunteering to serve. Um, but there's also one very important reason that they're ignoring right now, and it's their own betrayal of the trust of service members. If they own that and they try to fix that, then I think that is the first step into try, trying to repair this. And maybe we won't have to have a draft in order to... Um, I guess continue policing the rest of the world, but again, that's a that's a policy decision that I don't have. That's no part of, of me. But um, I care about the service very much, and I want us to repair this. And when you're over on these ships, give us kind of like your day to day operations. Like, kind of give us a day in the life of Rob Green. What what does Rob do? What's what you know your duties? You know the schedule. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was in charge of a division, uh, for example, on a destroyer. So mm -hmm. we're, you know, 250 some odd people, uh, 280 or so. And, and then, um, you know, I get up in the morning, we're underway, we're on deployment, we're in the med or, um, you know, Horn of Africa, we have a mission to do. And, um, so my job is you stand watch, you know, either on the, on the bridge of the ship, keeping the ship safe navigationally, or you're standing watch in the combat information center. Um, usually that watch is anywhere from, you know, four to eight hours a day, depending on how many, you know, watch sections you have. Uh, and you also have a, a, you know, every day you're, you're managing maintenance of equipment. You're taking care of people. Uh, you know, you've got to eat, you've got to get some sleep. Um, and, and you've got to rotate watches. Somebody has got to stand watch all night. So usually you do a week uh, where you're the, you're the guy standing the 2 AM to 8 AM watch. Um, and, uh, you know, and then you roll right into your, your day job and you try to catch a nap right after dinner before you get back up at 2 AM. So, you know, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty hectic schedule and you can't afford to be down manpower because maintenance of equipment is hurt. Uh, the ability to stand enough watch stations so that people are awake and, uh, and ready to go. Um, it's important. I mean, you've probably flown some of the greatest planes 
messed around with some of the greatest weapons, right? I mean, you've probably played with it all. Well, I'm not a pilot, um, but uh, so I, I haven't flown them myself, but uh, I have been flown onto uh, yeah. a carrier by by some of our talented pilots. So, yeah. And what's it do? Does it does it feel like surreal, like being on one of these ships? I mean, does it? I mean, it's probably it's probably an awesome experience. It's probably uh, and you get you know you're with your brothers, you know, and and it, it creates like a, a bond, a family, and um, yeah, and it just seems like it just seems like it would be fun. So for me, I, I always wanted to spend time at sea. I loved it, uh, especially yeah. as a you know a fresh ensign out of the academy, and and here yeah. I am leading my first you know team on a ship. Um, and, and then eventually though, you're, you're away from your family nine months. That's uh, hard. That's the hard part. Yeah. It, it, you hit the doldrums. There was a period of time, you know, I don't think I've shared this before in any interview, but there was a period of time at one point where, you know, I had missed the kid's birth, uh, and, uh, and gone for a long time. And my job at the time was standing watching the combat information center and it's really dark in there. They keep the red lights on. Um, you know, so, so you can, and, and I would go from there back to my rack to dinner to my watch was down there. This period, maybe a month, you know, maybe a little longer where I didn't see the sun. I just stayed in the belly of the ship. And so, you know, not ideal, uh, not, not the best for your emotional state, but it, it really hits home that this is, it's easy for our service members to get overwhelmed. Um, you know, we need to make sure we're doing a good job because we also have a concurrent suicide crisis right now in the service. Um, for example, during the pandemic, uh, the course of the pandemic, there were 1,460 completed suicides in the course of the pandemic. You compare, compare that to the number of suicide, or sorry, the number of deaths attributed to the COVID virus, 96. And so you can tell where we spent our attention was not where I think we should have. We should have focused on the mental health of service members way more. 96 deaths allegedly due to the virus compared to 1,460 deaths to suicide. We need to focus on mental health more. Absolutely. And, I, and I've, I've been saying for years on my program that the real dangerous after effect of this whole scamdemic is the mental health part. What it does to people's mental health rather than the virus itself. Uh, the virus itself is not as is not as dangerous as what it's been doing to people mentally. I mean, depressions are at the highest they've ever been. Suicides are at the highest they've ever been. Divorces are at the highest they've ever been. Uh, you know, we can, substance abuse, uh, you know, it's, it's just goes on and on and on. I mean, people are just losing it. People are, people, people that I never thought in a million years are, are totally going off the rails because of these last couple of years. It's oh, yeah, sad. I, I agree. It's sad to watch. I mean, people, I, I like people you would never even think uh, just totally losing their minds. And I think you take somebody out of a routine and their structure and their everyday life and you bring something this catastrophic and this crazy, uh, it's definitely going to leave a, a horrible, long lasting effect, you know? Absolutely. And, and for the military, you know, it's no different than the rest of society. Uh, you have, you know, same human issues. Um, and just for the military, you have that added uh, element that, hey, we have national security to worry about. Um, and so, you know, we do need a, a ready force. So we need a resilient force. Yeah, no, no absolutely. And I, I, I do, I do want to ask you, you know, in regards, I, I gotta let you go here in a second, but I, I love having you on. 
in regards to the military, um, what do you make of everything going on around the world currently with World War Three possibly on on the brink? I mean, we're pretty much there. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm a spiritual person, and you know, I, I believe in the Bible, and you know, there's a there's a passage in there. Um, you know, you're going to hear you know about wars and rumors of wars, and certainly seems like we're kind of in that in that scenario right now. Um, so the only thing I could offer there is, uh, you know, stick to your convictions. Um, yeah. to anybody listening, you know, have faith, um, try to do the right thing. Um, if you're asked to do something illegal, this is any service members out there. If you're asked to do something that, that breaks the law or your own conscience, that's not a lawful order. An order to be lawful has, has to, uh, not violate your statutory rights, meaning the law or your constitutional rights. You know, meaning your First Amendment rights, your your rights of conscience. Um, so don't just shrug your shoulders like people have done in the past and say, "Hey, I'm just following uh, orders." You know, you have to analyze those orders to make sure that they are do not violate the law or your rights. Absolutely, and I know I know there was a few things you wanted to touch on. I know you sent me a message that you wanted to uh, bring up a few things. I, I think we hit everything. Um, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to, to, to chat with you. And I'll share this with you. You may or may not know this, but um, uh, you're doing uh, in many ways what the Sons of Liberty were doing. And, and many of us are trying to do, um, you know, back in the 1760s and 1770s. Hey, this government that's governing us, they're going way overboard. They're screwing things up. We need to make everybody aware, right? So they would get their megaphones. They would stand on the street corners on boxes, and they would try to make everyone aware. So I'm grateful for you and for what you're doing, standing behind the mic, trying to get people on, trying to raise awareness. It's echoing what the Sons of Liberty did back in the day. And Patrick Henry, by the way, when he gave his famous speech, um, you know, give me liberty or give me death. You know how old he was? He was 26 years old. Wow. He was a he was a young man in the Virginia Convention. And let's also not forget how young the founding fathers were when they wrote the Constitution. They were all in their twenties. Yeah, many of them were very young. Now Benjamin Franklin wasn't that young, but no, no, not him. But pretty much all of them were in their twenties. Other, I think he was probably what in his late thirties, early forties at that point. I think he was a bit older than that. But but yeah, many of them were still young. Many of them, you know. So you're never too young to stand for freedom. So thank you for doing what you're doing. No, absolutely, Robin. Tell us about this new book before you go. Yeah, so the book is called Defending the Constitution Behind Enemy Lines. Uh, it's an analysis of what the founding fathers did in light of what uh, happened with uh, service members throughout the pandemic. Um, we go through the law, um, and I try to weave in human interest story stories from service members in each chapter, um, but it is, it is a story of standing for freedom uh, for service members uh, throughout this thing, the last three years, um, trying to make sure we raise awareness so something like this can never happen again. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I miss, I miss. Well, actually, no. I'm, I'm going back to look at the founding fathers right now. It looks like James Monroe was 18, Aaron Burr was 20, Alexander Hamilton was 21, James Madison was 25, and then there were a, a few that were older. Thomas Jefferson was 33. John Adams was 40, Paul Revere was 41, George Washington was 44, uh, Betsy Ross was 24. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty it's pretty wild to think that, you know, they were the thought leaders at that time that kind of drugged the rest of colonial Americans along with them. 
and they were young when they did it. So, you know, many of them were young. So thank you for, uh, for bringing that out and, and actually looking up their actual ages. That's good. Yeah, I, I wanted to just make sure I didn't want to just spew nonsense. But this book, though, give us what you want the biggest takeaway to be like, what, what do you want people to really get from this? Yeah. So, you know, I just mentioned a few of the things from the book. Um, but probably the most important thing is that subtitle there. Uh, it's a story of hope for those who love liberty. There is hope here. Uh, it's, it's with each other. Uh, it's with your faith. Um, it's with standing for truth. Uh, so, so never give up on that. You know, we who believe in, in an afterlife, uh, like we mentioned before, don't cling so desperately to, to the current one. We stand for something bigger uh, than just our own temporal, you know, selfishness or, or needs. Uh, we stand for something bigger. So do that. There is hope in that. So it sounds like this is a lot of what you experience, plus, you know, different life lessons people can learn from and, you know, just a, wi a wide variety of things, things going on in the world. Is that fair to say? It is. I, hundred, I, I interviewed hundreds of service members for, for the book um, and, uh, and got many of those stories woven throughout as we talked about the law and the implications and what the founding fathers did that were similar to, to what service members were going through. Wow. Very, very good stuff. And then I'm, um, is this your first book, by the way? It is. It is. Do you have plans to write more? <laughs> I have ideas for a few others, but uh, we'll see how my, my leadership uh, takes this book. I'm still in the service, so I have to, you know, write, uh, walk a pretty tight rope here to make sure I'm, I'm staying on the, the right edge of things. But um, it's a little edgy. I name names, people who broke the law at senior military levels in, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens over the next year or two as, as people start reading that book and waking up to things that we did wrong that we need to fix. And how much are lawsuits at right now with all these service members that have sued? I mean, they're probably in the billions when you add it all up, right? Uh, for what they're trying to get from the government, you mean, to repair harms? Just all this stuff, yeah. I mean, everything, all these court cases, when you add it all up with the mandates and the military. Well, the cost of them is, is significant. Um, most of them have been funded by donors, people who want to you know, stand for freedom. But there were, as far as I know, 41 lawsuits that were filed against the DOD and uh, in various military leaders, um, thousands of plaintiffs on those 41 lawsuits. And, um, you know, unfortunately, most of them have been dismissed by federal judges because the mandate was rescinded. So I'm not looking for a return to the mandate. But I am looking for the military to acknowledge the harms done themselves without further lawsuits. If they want to try to repair, you know, the harm done and you know repair the trust with service members and potential uh, folks, you know, potentially enlisting. And Robert, you know, I I think uh, running for office might be in your uh, in your near future. What what do you think, man? Uh, it's probably not for me. Uh, I. I'm going to probably do my best Cincinnati impression and go farm somewhere <laughs> when I'm done. But um, yeah, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll write as much as possible, uh, you know, as I see things that need to be you know, written about and, you know, do similar to what you're doing in terms of at least being vocal about constitutional rights. Um, but I, I don't, you know, you're probably going to ask the question, how can people follow you? I don't do social media. Uh, I don't have a website. Uh, I'm just a naval officer trying to lead people. And this is part of me fulfilling my oath to the Constitution, uh, which is fighting the domestic enemy that seeks to trample constitutional rights. So um, no real way to follow me. Read the book. It's about all I can all I can offer. I love it. I love it. And to conclude, last thing uh, you wanted to mention 
uh, something on LifeSite News you sent me? I did write an op-ed there. Um, I just mentioned that the gist of it, the gist of it is we, we executed a 20-year war with no real um, uh, victory criteria, no strategic objectives. We didn't hold any military leader accountable for the 7,000 lives lost in the course of the global war on terror. Um, you know, we didn't provide victory criteria or a way, a way to get out of there. Then we actually get out and, you know, we lose 13 people in a poorly planned um, withdrawal from Afghanistan. We leave $7 billion worth of equipment over there. Again, no military leader held accountable for that failure. Now we break the law, violate the constitutional rights of service members, 8,400 people kicked out, many, many more harmed in some ways by the vaccine, morally or physically. No one has been held accountable. So we have a betrayal of trust uh, for the services and, and parents who are, you know, encouraging their children to find greener pastures elsewhere. So if we don't repair those harms, rebuild that trust, you know, we're going to continue to see, I think, um, retention and recruiting, uh, in a, in a crisis when we cannot afford it. That's the gist of the article. So you can find it on LifeSite News. Um, but thank you for mentioning that. Absolutely. And again, where can people buy your book? Uh, so Skyhorse is the publisher. They've done a lot of great things. Uh, you can find it on, on their website, uh, Barnes and Noble, Amazon. Um, those, those are the main places. Perfect. Perfect. Well, we'll talk to you very, we'll talk to you very soon, Rob. I want to get you back a lot. I could talk to you all day. I do got to get to my next guest though, but God bless you. Keep up the fantastic work and uh, have a fantastic weekend. God bless you as well. Thank right, you. Thank you. We'll be right back, everybody. Coming to you live from Palm Springs, California. This is Rory Sodder and the news. Stay with us. Let's do this. People always say, don't assume the worst. You're excited? Yeah. Is it a boy or girl? We don't know. Sometimes the worst is exactly what you should assume. So my wife is in the hospital. She's about to give birth. Drive. This is a family emergency. I'm your family emergency now. Whatever it is that you want, it's yours. Is this the wife? David, where are you? You're happy? You and your wife have a happy marriage? Stick away from my family. That's rude. You interrupting me. Don't. You know what I don't need tonight? Stress. <laughs> Let's just make wise decisions. Watch the speed limit. Where are we going? You're not listening to me. I will shoot you. And this cop... I told you not to speed. We should play a little game. I want you to tell me the truth. If you don't, I am gonna kill Mr. Happy Trucker and this waitress. Ready? You got me confused with someone else. Really? I'm not who you think I am. I've never been told you who I think you are, so how could you know you're not who I think you are? Tick, 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 tick. Sit back down! Good. Oh. I'm not gonna die tonight. 
dressed up for this. I, I want her to be 100% sex tonight, and you cut that in half. I'm now 50% sex. People tend to think the more violent the death, the higher to heaven you go. Better to reign in hell, wouldn't you agree? Pick up the phone, James. What, what, what are you, ghosting me? What are you, Dr. Ross, my psychiatrist? <laughs>
I guarantee it'll be the best coffee you've ever had. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code and you'll get my coffee for 25% off. And I'm going to give you deep discounts on all my store products. That's mystore.com. It's my new platform for USA entrepreneurs. Please order now. Just like that, a moment turns romantic. So why pause to take a pill? And when you're having fun, why stop to find a bathroom? With Cialis for daily use, you don't have to plan around either. It's the only daily tablet approved to treat erectile dysfunction, so you can be ready anytime the moment is right. Plus, Cialis treats the frustrating urinary symptoms of BPH, like needing to go frequently, day or night. Tell your doctor about all your medical conditions and medicines and ask if your heart is healthy enough for sex. Do not take Cialis if you take nitrates for chest pain or adempus for pulmonary hypertension, as it may cause an unsafe drop in blood pressure. Do not drink alcohol in excess. Side effects may include headache, upset stomach, delayed backache, or muscle ache. To avoid long-term injury, get medical help right away for an erection lasting more than four hours. If you have any sudden decrease or loss in hearing or vision, or any symptoms of an allergic reaction, stop taking Cialis and get medical help right away. Why pause the moment? Ask your doctor about Cialis for daily use. And for a $200 savings card, go to Cialis.com. And we are back. Rory Sodder and the news coming to you live from Palm Springs, California. My next guest has had quite the career, quite the resume. Very excited to talk to her. We have Barbara Bandel joining us for the first time. Hi, Barbara. Welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, first, and for, first and foremost, give us a background, a bio, how it all started for you, all that fun jazz. Well, I'm uh, from the Netherlands. Um, I discovered I was a psychic when I was seven. And I tried to live a normal life, have a normal job as a secretary. But it always uh, pulled me back um, to helping people. So I decided to do that many, many years ago. And that's my background story. Now, how, how does someone get into becoming a psychic? I mean, what... What kind of steps do you have to take? Like what, what, where did you start? And then how did you, you know, get to be to this, to this kind of level and actually make it, yeah. make it a career? I think most of all, you, you really have to love to help people. Yeah. And, um, and then I believe that everyone's born psychic. We just forget when we grow older uh, and, and our common sense starts to take the overhand. Um, so I think anyone can develop it and, and you can grow like, because there's a difference between a psychic and a psychic medium. Yeah. Um, so you can be um, a psychic medium as well, talking to deceased loved ones. And it's just, it has to be a calling. I think that's most important. Oh, no, I, absolutely. No, I agree. And, and kind of, Tell us about the classes you took, what you learned early on, things that, you know, that, that's, that uh, you took with you, uh, you know, along in your yeah. career. Yeah, well, I, the, the things I saw and felt and, and heard, they came natural to me. So I didn't learn that. But as I grew older, I wanted to uh, be amongst people who experience the same. So I had a lot of help from uh, Mark Falconer Adley. He is um, an Englishman. He lives in the Netherlands. And I learned healing from him and transmediumship. 
and just the also just to talk with each other how it is because it's very lonely and you get so many um emotional stories sometimes and how many years of training uh, did you have to do till you felt secure and comfortable enough to mm -hmm. really pursue this full on and let, yeah. let you know if, if that makes sense yeah it makes sense but like getting the getting the hang of it like until it became mm -hmm. like you know part of your routine that started early on it's just the way my guides talked to me and and communicated with me it felt like like we're talking right now yeah and, oh, and, and by the way i loved your prior guest thank what you what an interesting man thank i was you. like oh don't stop talking <laughs> thank yeah. you thank you yeah, so great guy i, I want to ask you your curriculum like like with clients and with people you work with and different yeah. kind of rituals you do, like what, what does that look like? Like what is the curriculum? Well, I, um, yeah, people can come to me for anything mm -hmm. and, and they, um, it's usually love. I never do things like uh, bringing a, an ex-partner back within 48 hours. I think that's a BS. Um, and I just, I do nothing. Actually, I just listen. I have the easiest job in the world, actually. So that's yeah. how I work. And I never know what's coming. I can never promise something. Uh, but people are always coming through. This is loved ones. And I um, tell everything that I hear, see or feel. Yeah. Like, are you are, are you able to like predict people's future? Are you able to talk? Yeah. To, are you able to talk to the dead? Are you able to do? Yeah. And so like, give me, give me some examples of that. Cause I find that stuff fascinating. Oh, it is, it is. And, um, examples. Well, for me, the, the most beautiful reading uh, I've ever had was with a disease firefighter who died on uh, 9-11 in one of the twin towers. Oh, no. And for me, it's normal. Let's say you come for a reading. Uh, within a month it's normal that maybe your disease grandfather comes to visit me before you come because mm -hmm. they want to talk to me or just to feel my energy so i'm used to having spirits around me all the time and i don't mind and um, because they're always kind i never have weirdos in the house what <laughs> what kind of information do you need to predict somebody's future to talk to the dead like i'm sure nothing, nothing. i'm sure i'm sure when a client comes in he kind of has to give you a no. brief bio no 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 uh, the less i know the better because i don't want to know anything the only thing i have to do is concentrate so i usually sit with my eyes closed during the whole reading and um and i just repeat what they say it's all about concentration and trusting your guides of course because some people, it's it's exciting when I give a reading, they're nervous, clients are nervous. So I understand that they don't always um, understand what I'm saying, or I give names and they're like, I don't know that person. But then later on, when they're at the supermarket the next week, they're like, oh yeah, uh, she said that name, that's somebody who died so long ago. So I just keep on talking. Really? Yeah. Wow. 
So like looking at me and talking to me, like, what do you think if you had to say my future? Well, I think you're very courageous, first of all. Thank you. And um, I was tuning into the other guy, uh, Rob was his name, I think. You asked him the question, are you, yeah, are you going to write more books? And my guy said, oh, yes, two more. Um, so for you, I feel your grandmother. Uh, I always see people on the right side. For you, that's the left, but for me, it's the right side. Mm -hmm. uh, your grandmother's here. She's from your father's side. And I think it's your great-grandmother, by the way. And because you want to expand your business, you want to grow, you want more people to hear your voice. And that's what you're going to do. You're also going to write a book. Are you already starting? Started with the book? No, I haven't really started much, no. Okay, because it's going to be um, a really thick book. Really? And do you already have your babies? Your children? Uh-oh. <laughs> Tapping on it. How long? How long do you think? Till how long does it is your is it telling you till I have kids? Yeah, I see more than one. How so, long? How long though? Till then. Uh, well, how old are you now, or how 32. young are you now? Thirty-two. 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 Thirty-four. Yeah. Really. Yeah, you say your your age, and I immediately get the age that your your first baby will be born, and they will be close to each other, and one looks so much like you. And they already, uh, they already chose you to be their dad. What else? Can you tell me more stuff? No. <laughs> when I when more stuff comes, I will tell you. No, no. I, oh, go ahead. No, I'm. Uh, I I like it that because I'm really nervous to do this. I'm not used to doing like uh, podcasts and seeing my own face on on the screen. Um, but I'm amazed that it goes so easy. Yeah, that well, you, I can look, give you, you look great. You sound great, and you perform well. Thank I mean, you. you're 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 easy to interview. Um, so wait, what in regards to how many clients you see a week? Do you have like a big caseload? Do you see a lot of different people? Yeah, and I really always um, take care of myself. So I do two per day because it's it's the concentration is. And how I was long, young. And how long would do you usually spend with these individuals? Like an hour, hour and a half. Okay, so that's yeah. a good, good amount of time. Do you guys go in like a dark room with like a, like a, like no. stir? Oh, so no. it's not like crystal balls or anything? No, no, no. So oh, I'm really down to earth. I'm so down to earth. Because I know certain psychics have different, you know, some of them will have certain rooms that they go into and do these certain things. So you just sit in a normal room, right? Yeah, and I can do it anywhere. Wow. I can do it in a, on the beach or wherever. And um, there's a Helena. She, her name is Helen. So maybe her name is Lena. She, she belongs to you. She's one of your guides. So maybe you can look it up. Who? After the show, of course. Wait, who? Her full name is Helena. And then maybe her nickname was Hel um, Lena, something like that. <sighs> yeah, she's on your on your right and she's laughing <laughs> what is she laughing about <laughs> that she thinks it's funny that she's in the in the broadcast where where is she she's behind you she's not <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's, 
yeah, I'm sorry. I'm so used to this. And I wait, have so to who is Lena? That I, how does Lena know me and what does she want to do with me? Like what what is her what 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 is her part in this? Like what give me give me kind of the rundown on that. Yeah, so first of all, she loves you. You don't know her, but she knows you. Um, so you're related to each other. Wow. And this is from your mother's side of the family. So we had your great-grandmother from your father's side, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And this is from your mother's side of the family. Mm -hmm. And there is, um, from your mother's side of the family, there was a mother who was, I think she died very young. Do you know that history? Because she was missed so much and and she's connected to that woman so your mother's mother and then um generations back yeah but she knows you you're you, you have a bloodline and she's very proud of you because you know the guides they see everything what's happening now mm -hmm. and over the last years um yeah they know how hard it is for us right now here to keep our sanity and um, we're being like flushed with information, what is true, what isn't true. So they're all helping us. Wow. Yeah. Jesus. So, so you, oh, Jesus, you... well, maybe he will come too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so wait, so the, um, I was going to ask you, in regards to um, different media outlets, I see you've been on a lot of different. You've been on a lot of outlets with your work. You were on the Telegraph, mm -hmm. said a few others too, right? Yeah. And, has that been for? Have you been in the in the? Um, have you been? Have you been in different newspapers for a while? Yeah. Yeah. So the read. You, yeah, you've been interviewed by the Reader's Digest, the Telegraph and many other respected publications. Very cool. And I can't believe you've been doing this for more than 25 years. That's crazy. Yeah. It's more even longer now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And and it I, I became really fast because I'm doing this for such a long time. I'm really fast. Yeah. So I can, so some people think that I make it up because I'm so fast. Yeah. So sometimes I'm like, oh, let me sense, but I already heard the answer. Um, so if you talk, the guides give answers. That's how, how, when, whenever you, sometimes when people didn't even finish the sentence, I already get the answer. It's amazing. And it says here that you discovered your unique abilities when you were just seven years old. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and I thought everyone had it. I thought it was normal. Um, I did, I did have a sense of, why am I here and, and what am I doing here? I felt a bit weird, a bit of an outsider when I was young. Um, but I thought every, everyone could just see things and feel things. And I couldn't understand why people were so nice to somebody uh, when I felt that that person was horrible. You, so... Go ahead, keep on, sorry. No, I'm, it's just that um, being... Um, like highly intuitive you you are also highly intuitive you know that you can ch cut through the bullshit sorry the bs am i allowed to say that yeah yeah you can say whatever you want yeah, <laughs> okay yeah there's no there's no sensor or anything it, it's that's what i love about uh podcasts online you know you can pretty much say whatever's on your mind and 
There's no, there's no fines or anything like that. Um, what was I going to say though? Oh yeah. Are you going to do any shows about this stuff, about your work or put together documentaries or anything like that? I know you have a new book out. Yeah, I hope, I hope that there will someday be a documentary. Um, I don't have to be in it, but I would love to support other psychics and, um, help them, um, just be the best they can be. Have you met a lot of psychics? Have you guys come yeah. together like and networked quite a bit? Like, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And I'm sure you've probably connected with psychics all over the world, not just in your area, right? Yeah, that's right. Because they're everywhere. And they're all spread out. They're all spread out, and um, there's a lot of jealousy in the psychic world. Very competitive business very competitive business and i don't understand why because the clients that are on your energy level they will find you and there are enough clients but um yeah it's great to to connect with other psychics and give readings like crisscross yeah yeah and and your new book here uh my most memorable psychic readings and personal stories plus exercises and meditations to expand and deepen your awareness. Yes. So kind of tell us about that. Tell us, mm-hmm. give us some of these most personal stories and some of these most memorable psychic readings. Like what are some of the ones? Yeah, yeah I wrote down a, a lot and um, it's about signs people get from uh, diseased loved ones because that's a, a big question. Uh, do they give signs? Yes, they do. So I gave a lot of examples and um, an example of someone who committed a suicide who came through it was a, a husband um and what happens when you commit suicide what happens to your soul when you do that um yeah a lot of stories actually also my own um, things i experienced also spooky ones with a haunted house and weird things that happened in my own house so people can relate to a lot i think like, oh, I experienced that too, or oh, I feel that too sometimes. Do you ever see ghosts? Do you ever do you ever see things that aren't necessarily things that other people would see? Uh, you mean ghosts as in something spirits. negative? Like spirits. Do you ever see like spirits or you yeah, know? all the time. And and, and explain because i know psychics communicate with the dead what is that yeah. like what is that like communicating with the dead because it's fun know, yeah but. it's fun it's so much fun um people your awareness is complete once you die and it's like falling asleep when we fall asleep we um we leave our body a couple of times a night our soul and dying is exactly the same so you're still the same. You're still funny. Uh, you're still highly intelligent, highly intelligent. I'm talking about you. Um, so you will still have the same ideas, but you understand the whole picture. And that's amazing. So I hear so much information about things happening on earth, why and how and when. Um, so I learn from every reading, from every diseased um, person. They are so smart and funny amazing amazing and um in regards to um 
you know, seeing different spirits and, and just all these encounters. Has there ever yeah. been anything extremely terrifying where you lost sleep over it or something that was just out of this world? Um, no, I do lose sleep when people lost a child. Oof. I have a very, yeah, that, you know, I don't understand why some have to die so young. From a spiritual point of view, I understand, but I'm also a mother and I don't understand why they just swap with someone who's 100 and um, full-blown dementia in a diaper waiting to die. Why can't they make a deal or something? So that uh, is something I, I can be sad about for, for hours. Um, but things that terrify me, yeah, when, when sometimes we call that demonic things, um, energies, they've never been human. These things scare me because they're evil. And I, uh, I did experience that a couple of times in a vacation home in Italy. Oh, that was really scary. We weren't welcome there. So we, the second night we decided to sleep outside every night. Wow. So yeah. you, when, you, when you walk into a room, you can pick up on negative energy if there's spirits or anything. Yeah, just like you. Wow. Or you can sense when there's um, been a fight or a quarrel, but also in a restaurant, I can sense when there's been a fire years ago. And I look it up at home at Google. And, oh, yeah, there was there was a fire many, many years ago. Because the energy is still there. Wow, it's amazing. And how, how many, how long did it take you to write this book? Long. It felt like giving labor. <laughs> really? Yeah. It, it's That it's excruciating, really, that painful? Yeah. It's um, because of the stories, all the old memories came back. So it was also very um, soothing, but sometimes almost therapeutic. Uh, it took me a couple of years. Yeah. Did you ever have to go to therapy for some of this stuff that you had, you've had to experience? I mean, did it ever take take a toll on you in that way, on your psychosis? No. I mean, but there are there are yeah. aren't there a significant amount of psychics that do have to go to therapy for some of the things they they go through? I mean, is it is it a tough thing for? I guess. I've never met a psychic who, who uh, has been to therapy, but I guess there there are. But it's just like it takes a brave have, per, it takes a brave person. I feel like because you have to hear all these tragic stories, and I mean you're human yeah. too. You're human too, and so are these other psychics. And I'm mm -hmm. sure it's tough, you know. Yeah, but but my guides always help me when things get get tough. Um, they help me to. Yeah, just get over it or, or see it from a different perspective, different angle, and it re that really helps. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, like, are you are you gonna like um, put together your like own eventually, like like big business where you want to have a bunch of psychics working under you? I mean, would that be something you do down the road? I mean, yeah, I I love to help other yeah. psychics to develop. Right. Yeah. So what what is what does Barbara's career look like in five years? What do you want to be doing in five years? Obviously, still this, but yeah. where where do you want to be in this business? Do you want to be making films? Do you want to be, you know, doing different different you know shows on this matter? Like, do you want to have your oh, own? I would love that. Like, what what I are would... you what are you thinking within five years? Well, not big things, but 
um, I love to go deep and I love to explain to people um, more than just, oh, your grandfather is standing behind you, things like that. Right. Like really deep, 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 deep. I would love to do that, shows or um, documentaries, things like that. If you ever thought about doing your own podcast, you'd probably be pretty good at it. You have a lot of things to share with the world. No, I never thought about it. Then I have to look at my own face, and I don't like to look at my. Well, I think I think you look great, and I, I think yeah, that's just the thing. I just I when I was in my twenties, I thought I thought oh, when I'm in, in my in my forties, I will have more confidence. No, <laughs> it's not true. See, I don't know. I don't know why you don't have confidence. I mean, you 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 talk well. You look good. You know, I I, I think you'd be great yeah. for. Podcast, I don't know what it is. Sorry. I I love what you say, but it's it's. I don't think I'll ever get confidence. I hear. Is it hard? Is it hard for you to like, like, be in front of a screen? Because is it like yeah. kind of a new thing for you? Yeah, um, but I I also don't like taking pictures of myself. Like selfies. Oh god. No, 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 no. The selfie thing is becoming a lot of people are doing that's becoming a very popular yeah. thing. I feel like. Yeah. I hear you though. I hear you. There's a lot there's a lot of people that don't like taking selfies. There's a lot of people. I hear you. Yeah. Uh, um, what was I gonna tell you though? What was I gonna ask you? Oh, um in regards to um I was gonna, oh Netherlands, the farmers. Are the farmers okay over there? No. Is that still going on? Yeah, it's it's really sad, isn't it? Because I, I I've been watching footage. I haven't seen yeah. anything in a while. Um, but can you give us like an update on that? I know that's off topic, but have you been following it? Yeah, I do. And wherever you you drive here, the the flags are upside down. We have um, oh, I have to think what what colors comes first: um, red, white, blue. That's our, our flag, and now it's blue, red, white, everywhere. Um, so the elections are coming. So they are the um, they are all talking about, yeah, we're going to fix that. We're going to, no problem. Um, but I know once the elections are, are done, that they are going to try to pursue this whole thing. I don't know what the word stickstoff is in, in English. That's um, the thing that that's crushes the na nature what's the word do you know what the word is what, what word sorry it's the word um the thing that they want to drive the farmers away about that thing it's like nitrogen or what is it i don't i, I forgot don't. the word yeah i don't know no it doesn't matter but anyway and my sister lives in germany just across the border germany is our neighbors and the neighbors like it's like close to each other and they have no rules at all right it's it's insane crazy stuff crazy it's stuff. scary it's yeah, scary it's very scary and so scary. uh i, I want to get you back here soon but um before i let you go um what, what's the thing you're most proud of in your life what, what's the thing that you look back on and it's your biggest accomplishment that i can look at myself in the mirror every day i love it well, that's, yeah i mean that's 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 a big enough accomplishment yeah that, that's good. And like, what part of Netherlands are you in again? Amsterdam. Yeah. Oh, you're in Am I love Amsterdam. That's awesome. Yeah. Such a beautiful place. That place is so special. Yeah, it is. 
And what's it, I mean, I, 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 I've been there, but what's it like visiting? I mean, what's it like living there? Busy. Uh, today, all the um, Israeli schools were closed. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, they were afraid of terror from, from Hamas. Uh -oh. um, but it's very crowded. And you asked, what do you want to do within five years? I hope to live somewhere quiet oh, sure. within five years. Are you, are you right in downtown? No, no, no. I'm more on the edge, but I can in, I can be in downtown in, in five minutes. And what's the crime like there? Oh, the bikes are being stolen everywhere. Pickpockets, um, bad uh, drugs, um, bad cocaine, um, murders. Yeah, it's a lot. Oh, wow. And uh, is it's expensive too. Isn't it really expensive oh, in Amsterdam? Really. Yeah. Very, very. To park your car, your, your fortune. Yeah. yeah. They got some really good restaurants, yeah. though, and um, they've got yeah. some just amazing tourist attractions, all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Have you ever been there? I It was a while ago, but I've been there once, yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. It was like over 10 years ago, though, so I, 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 I remember a few things. I don't remember everything, though. No. Um, the coffee but yeah. shop. Sorry? <laughs> the coffee shops. I'm sure it's changed. And I think the last time I was there was probably like 15 years ago. I'm sure it's changed since then, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but not in a bad way. Okay. Okay. Well, I definitely want to get you back here soon. Tell everybody where they can get the book and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Well, the book is available on Amazon. And I'm working on an audio book. And I hope that we'll be ready um, within a couple of months. I will put it on my website once it's done. My website is barbarademedium.com. And um, your partner's also going to help you with growing your business, what you're doing right now, make people aware. So that's good. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. And uh, I love talking to you. You know, I could talk to you all day. Likewise. It's been a wonderful conversation and let's definitely talk soon. Thank you. I had right. a great thank, time. Thank you. God okay. bless you. And best of luck. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Uh, everybody, it has been a fantastic show today. I want to thank you all for tuning in. Um, another episode of Rory Sodder and the news in the books. Hope you have a fantastic weekend. We'll see you all uh, next Friday. Until then, I'm Rory Sodder. God bless. Much love. Cheers, everybody.